0: Joseph Smith gets judged harshly by historians and ex-Mormons alike. They will often employ tactics, such as presentism, to make their arguments. This is where we judge people from history by taking them out of their time and drop them into our time and judge their actions and character without any context whatsoever. The result is a slanted view of history without considering historical context. Also, when it comes to Joseph Smith's plural marriages, historians and ex-Mormons paint Joseph Smith as a predator without considering the words of the women who were his plural wives. They do his wives a disservice by painting them as victims. The shocking truth is, when you read the words of his wives, you soon conclude that they were not victims of a predator, but strong, faithful, articulate women. This inconvenient fact then leads to the conclusion that Joseph Smith was not a sexual predator, as some have purported. On this episode, I have Hannah Stoddard back on the podcast to talk about her new book, which is a biography of perhaps his most controversial wife, Helen Mark Kimball. As always, Hannah breaks down her life in a scholarly way, taking into account historical context and using primary sources to tell the tale of her life. Stick around for a fascinating conversation that will be sure to change some minds on this wife of the Prophet Joseph Smith. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is, I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So, the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to MormonRenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page. Search out the blog post and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character.
1: You're listening to the Mormon
0: Renegade podcast. Hannah, how are you?
1: I am doing good. How about you? Excited I'm doing good.
0: Back. What's that?
1: I'm excited to be back.
0: I'm excited to have you back. Your your episode that we did about a year ago now it was one of the one one of my favorites for sure. So I'm I'm super excited to have you back on. But everything going good?
1: Yeah. Yes yep just staying busy you know um I think we talked a little bit last time about how we kind of have that homestead and yeah. we also have life so I think sometimes people look at the Joseph Smith Foundation and think well, oh, that's all they do and actually that's like the side project it's
0: right right
1: it's at night and on weekend uh, really just Sunday actually
0: <laughs> nice anything new coming from the from the Joseph Smith Foundation that people should be aware of
1: Yes, actually. So we are, we've started releasing them on our website and we're adding new teachings every week, but we have a new project called the complete teachings of Joseph Smith. and I think I might've mentioned it. I can't remember when we talked last year, we were just, we were working on it. We've been working on it for six years about, but it's all of Joseph Smith's teachings organized by topic. Um, and it's going to be completely freely available Online and it even has links and sources back to the original document. So it makes it really easy to see all of Joseph Smith's teachings. We're going through his letters, his sermons, his histories, just all sorts of things. So that is, I'm so excited. We've been working on it for so many years with different volunteers, and we're actually launching it now online. Wow. And um, and then we're gearing up to do a lot on the Book of Mormon actually. Um, So there will be some fun things coming out in the next few months. Um, This September is actually the 200th anniversary of when Moroni first came to Joseph Smith. So, And we're just feeling really strongly like the Book of Mormon is more important than ever. We've got to start using it, um, both for individual conversion, but to fight to save the constitution to just clean up our society and we're not using it like we should we're kind of bolting it on the side like oh it's this fun thing for backup instead of no it should be our main textbook so we're going to try to do a big emphasis on the book mormon starting in the fall and then next year so that's kind of what's coming down the line soon but
0: so what do you guys do after lunch I mean I'm just kidding. I mean you guys are so busy. Holy cow, that's that's some ambitious stuff, Hannah. I mean, it's it's nuts. I I couldn't agree with you more though on on the Book of Mormon. And lately um I've been feeling more and more impressed that for the sake of not just individuals, but of the nation, the Book of Mormon has to come forward a little bit more. That book is so unique in the sense that and, and I don't want to take this away from from anyone who who lives somewhere else, because it is vital for for testimony of everybody worldwide. But I think it's got a special part to play within America. Right. And and sometimes when you start seeing the things where it talks about those secret combinations and and what's going on, I mean, it's it's pretty much a blueprint for what's happening right now.
1: Yeah. And even more important, I think, is that the Book of Mormon has the problems, but it also has the answers. Yep. I think that's sometimes what we overlook, because it's things like um, father and son teams working together. Where do you even see that in our culture today? But if you look in the Book of Mormon, all the way through, whether it's Alma the Elder working with Alma the Younger, Alma the Younger working with Helaman or Corianton, or Helaman working with Nephi and Lehi the in you know in the book of helaman and third nephi and then you've got it, it's, it's a father and son um team effort working and i think that's why Satan is attacking families so strongly attacking fathers but it's right there it's like mormon's trying to tell us something like this is how to fight this fight this is how to save the constitution how did captain moroni do it let's actually study it specifically so it's been it's actually been a journey for me uh because the Book of Mormon is not something that I just naturally gravitated to just just inherently which is kind of interesting. I loved the Doctrine and Covenants, I loved the Old Testament, I loved the New Testament in my teens, and as the Book of Mormon, I was like, oh, it's nice, but I just didn't have this huge connection. But even in the last few years, that has radically shifted. So, I feel like I've seen both sides. Um, I've been in that place of treating it lightly. I've been in that place of being apathetic and then realizing, whoa, I totally missed the boat on this one. So that's why I'm pretty excited.
0: Well, that's awesome. I can't wait to see that 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 come forward. That's going to be yeah. great. Yeah. So th- I brought you on today to talk about the book you did about uh, Joseph Smith's plural wife, Helen Mar Kimball. Yes. And I love it. Now, this is going to be a series, right? or is this just okay that's the goal (laughs) yeah yeah i love that you started with her because she's the one that is surrounded by most controversy being linked to joseph smith and so the fact you started with her i think was absolutely amazing what was it that made you decide to start there with her
1: yeah okay that's a really good question so tackling the whole issue of joseph smith uh plural wives actually was never on my radar and i talk about this a little in the introduction um it just it wasn't on my list it was something that i personally didn't really it wasn't a big subject that i was necessarily something studying all the time or interested in i didn't really have a problem it it wasn't really just it just was not on my radar it was not my list i never thought i was going to write a book like this actually and um but as i Um, got more involved in the whole faith crisis area and trying to help people with church history and just seeing Joseph Smith come under attack. Um, This issue, the issue, of plural marriage and the issue of joseph smith's practice of plural marriage just kept coming up and coming up and and i just saw so many people that were hurting and i realized okay we have to address this because there's no reason for people to be struggling it's not um which might be shocking for some people they might be like well this is one of the top like faith crisis issues what um i really don't think it has to be that complicated actually if we get into the history and so um, I realized, okay, we need to we need to address this, and we need to do it in a way that can help um, see the full picture. Right. And I felt like I was coming at it from a unique position of being a woman and being able to say, I, I think too many times this uh, subject has been addressed with books on polygamy or on plural marriage, and that's all they talk about and and i really felt like we're missing the we're missing the point because this story is really about real people and people are not all of us are not about one event that happened in our lives we're complex people with personalities and and stories and feelings and and perspectives. And, and that's important. So if you want to understand Joseph Smith, if you want to understand any of the women, you have to understand them as human beings and not as just these names and dates and oh when were they sealed to Joseph Smith? And what did they say about their experience? Even no, what was their what were their lives like? What was their personality um, in areas that are seemingly unrelated? Um and and so that was the approach that we wanted to take. We we said, okay, we're going to approach this from the perspective of the women, number one. Number two, we're going to focus on their entire lives because you're only going to understand Helen if you understand Helen. Shocking idea, right? And so that was the approach um, that we take, which I have not seen taken before. I've seen people say, oh yeah, we're going to tell the stories of the women or we're going to talk about them. They don't tell their life stories. In fact, to the point of um, originally, volume one was actually going to be about four of the wives. So we were going to try to do four short biographies. We we're going to do Eliza R. Snow, Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, Helen Mark Kimball, and um, Rachel Ivins Grant. Interestingly enough, because each of them have really just interesting kind of twists and turns in their story, and we wanted to give rep- good representation. And I felt like that would be fine because I was doing a little bit of research on Helen Mark Kimball and I didn't see much. So I figured, well, we must not know very much about her or have a ton of original writings. And then I discovered, actually, we have her widow journals. Um, They were up at Utah State. We have tons of letters. We have poetry she wrote. We have publications of firsthand eyewitness, eyewitness experiences of the restoration that she wrote. We we have a lot. And I realized, wait a minute, this story is not being told. Um, we're not talking about this. We've got to tell our story. And so it turned into an entire book just on Helen Mark Kimball. And honestly, we are not even scratching the surface on how much there is to share about her life. So I just felt like we've got to tell her story because you can't understand even one doctrine. Truth is circumscribed into one great whole, right? So you've mm-hmm. got to understand what is her perspective on discipleship? What's her perspective on motherhood? What's her perspective on faith? um, All of those stories, all those narratives, how she grew, what kind of a personality she was, all of them play a part in answering the question, was Joseph Smith a man of low character? Was he an adulterer? Um, was he a pedophile when we come to the issue of Helen Mark Kimball right I mean I hate to use that word but that is the conversation that's taking place um so let's just hit this head on and like you said it's like go big or go home let's start with Helen Mark Kimball she's the most controversial why not
0: yeah and there's so much there that you said that that's just spot on for me um I uh I think you have you you have a real great point when you say that there's been books about plural marriage but not really telling the stories right yeah. not not making it personal it's yeah. done it like an academic arm's length kind of of right. of way because i think people are naturally uncomfortable with it right I and this is
1: history that. you can't do that if you if you <laughs> approach it that way it's not accurate it's not right. going to be the real story <laughs>
0: right and so it's done with this arm's length distance because yeah. i i think i think people just hate to dive into it because it is controversial and it, and it is it can be uncomfortable right um and and you're talking to a fundamentalist right and and but i can even recognize that 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 that, that can be uncomfortable for people however it's part of our history and if we want to to relegate that we don't do a good job the other thing i'll say i just had on david w Patton, and he'll his episode will be right before yours and he's the guy who's creating the the sixth season series on joseph smith and we had a long talk about for some reason we tend to turn people of history into marble statues right we don't personalize them we don't show who they are. And I'm not talking about a whitewash kind of history. I'm talking about an honest history because sometimes I think like one of my heroes is George Washington, right? I love the man. The man's incredible. But until you get into who he actually is, you don't get to see maybe some of the warts too. And, and those are important and they're important because Sometimes we look at people like Washington, like Joseph Smith, those heroes from history, and we have a way of saying, "Well, I could never do a great work because look at how good he is, right?" I mean, he's he's just he's he's immortal, immortal almost, right? But we don't do them justice by saying that, and then we we. Through that theory of, you know, gosh, they're just way so much better than me and I can never come close to that. We relegate ourselves so- on the sidelines because we think that there's a litmus test for doing good. And and certainly we want to be in line with God and stuff. But if, if we're constantly beating ourselves down because we think we can't come close to that because we have an idealized version of people from history. we'll we'll never get off the couch um so i i couldn't agree with you more the other thing i'll say is that when it comes to plural marriage um in some ways i think we as and i'll just speak from from the male point of view
1: right
0: we 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 don't carry as much weight on the issue right um because people will say well of course you're in favor of it you're a guy right and and so that that gets discounted um I had someone on here uh not too long ago from pro-life Utah and we were talking about this that that sometimes men can get we we naturally want to bow out of the abortion talk because we're not a woman and so the fact you're telling this story from a woman's point of view I think is fantastic Mm -hmm. so oh go ahead
1: Oh I was just going to say I think that's an absolutely fundamental issue. You know, there's a statement by Joseph Smith where he says that the entire issue of even practicing plural marriage he said is a woman's choice. That's his exact words. Yep. And so I really feel like um and we go into this a little bit more in the book where um plural marriage is not about more than one wife that is and that alone is a really um harmful misconception. Um, And and that was one of the approaches that I tried to really include in the book is understanding the reason why Helen Kimball gained her testimony of plural marriage, because you have to realize she struggled with it from the beginning. And that's one of the most powerful things about her story. She's not someone that just came to this easily. She had to work through it. And what brought her that conversion is actually understanding the doctrine of how God lives, God's doctrine of family life, God's doctrine of um, Zion. And it's, it's all of those doctrines, um, that helped her understand, okay, this is why I'm choosing this, um, and, and more of the pieces involved. And so, um, just back to your point about really telling the real history, um, I agree with you because we need to see, um, These are people who lived real lives. And that means that they had the same temptations, struggles. um, They had to overcome the natural man, just like every single one of us. But the great thing about these heroes is that they did it. (laughs) And that's what's powerful about their story. And it wasn't easy. And that was one of the things I remember um, as I was writing the book, (laughs) I tried so hard. I spent so many hours in prayer. Because it's really a heavy responsibility when you're telling someone else's story, um, that's not here to do it themselves, right? Um, because you're you're having to, however you write it, with even if you're not introducing things um, that are your own opinion, you're still going to be presenting the story in a certain way, and and not necessarily putting words in their mouth, but kind of shifting the perspective a certain way. And I really felt, okay, I, I was like, okay, I want Helen Kimball is alive. She's watching us right now. And what was she thinking? What was her perspective? What was she feeling? And make sure that came through. And I remember one morning I was just praying and praying and praying. And I was like, wh- what does she want brought out of her story? And one of the things that I felt impressed with was, what does the life of a disciple really look like? Because we all have this idea that prophets are men with white beards um, that live in tents, right? Like when we read about Abraham or Moses, we don't see them as real men, and I think that's actually really damaging. Like Lehi is not an old man with a white beard walking around in the desert. (laughs) He's he's just a dad. (laughs) He's a dad with kids who's listens. He has to walk through, get his own testimony. And that's what we read about in first Nephi. Um, Nephi's a teenager. He's trying to figure life out too. So um, coming to Helen Mark Kimball, what does the life of a disciple look like? It's hard. It requires sacrifice. Sometimes it's not easy and sometimes things don't go right. And walking through what gave her, what made her take the step and the choice that she wanted to do this because originally at the beginning of her life she talks about how she doesn't want sacrifice she's like i'm not cut out to be a saint my parents are but this is just not me and that's not even talking about the subject of plural marriage that's just talking about being a latter-day saint and the persecution that comes with that um and and being consecrated and and Putting in a lot of sacrifices. That that family was a missionary family. I mean, her dad is the one who literally opened the door for the gospel in England, um, and all those miraculous stories. Well, it wasn't just oh, he got on a boat and went and pro- preached the gospel and people joined the church. Their entire family made sacrifices for years for those doors to be open. She was there. She was one of those family members making those sacrifices. What was that like? And so, and what gave her the what what converted her to be willing to make those choices? Was she brainwashed or did she make this decision thoughtfully and did she have a reason for it? And if she has a reason for it, we need to tap into that to understand how we're supposed to live. Sorry, that's a really long-winded and kind of going off topic.
0: No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, you said it at the beginning, and and I want to preface this by, by saying this. Yeah. Helen Mar Kimball, if I'm not mistaken, is the the young woman who, when she marries Joseph Smith, they describe as almost 15.
1: Yes. Yes. She was 14 years old. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and we'll dive into context here in a minute, because I think context is super important when we have this conversation. Right. But you said when, when, when we first got rolling here that uh, there wasn't a lot on her. Did you struggle to find sources on her? I mean, was it a deep dig? or was it something that was maybe just kind of off in the corner that no one looked at
1: um yes and no um yes hard in the sense of i didn't know they existed so we kind of had to find that out so that's going through the church history archives and 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 seeing a footnote somewhere where Todd Compton's referencing, oh, her widow diaries. And you're like, well, where are these widow diaries? Let's get a hold of them. And then once you actually get a hold of them, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. And you can't really write about her story unless you've read all of that because there's context and there's progression. And um so there it was, it was it it required some digging um to find everything. Um, just because no one's really taken the time to organize this and compile this. It's not like we found a letter that no one had ever read before, but there has been a lot of apathy, I feel like personally towards our history. Um, I just wonder why, why is this not more easy to find? Why is this just not more easily accessible? Um, for any of us to look up and i don't think um there's the angle of some people are like oh well we're trying to hide the history and honestly i don't think it's as much that as i think it's apathy i think it's how many of us are saying i want to learn about these women because i want to learn what it means to be um a mother in zion and i want to know what's expected of me And that is a question that I've had a lot in my life because um, I remember a few years ago having a conversation with a group of women, and we were talking about how all of us had failed female role models in our lives, Um, women that we knew close to us that should have been role models that were not, and that left all of us feeling a little lost about what it means to be a woman because you have all of these messages in the culture of feminism and then you also have very very extremely harmful stereotypes of what it means to be a conservative woman what it means to be a a biblical wife um, connotations of submission family order um, that have been almost knee-jerk reactions to feminism. Oh, well, this is how feminine women dress. And it's good, you know, we, we get into stereotypes. Right. Of, oh, good girls are in the pink world and they avoid the boys world, which is blue. And that's, and we're doing that to avoid feminism. And, and anyway, just just weird stereotypes that aren't necessarily scriptural that aren't necessarily even accurate. Um, And so I I, I feel like on both sides, right and the left, we have harmful messages coming for women. And so I was having this conversation with these women and I was like, well, how can we restore what it means to be true women uh, when we don't have a living example in front of us? It's like trying to discover and grasp, grasp something that you haven't seen before. And all of us just came to the conclusion as we were talking that God had given us role models in these early women of the restoration and we needed to search them out. And the more I searched them out, I realized why is it so hard for me to find Eliza Snow's teachings? Um, like, this should just be more digestible. Why aren't there better biographies written about these women? Why don't we have their journals? Why, and, and the good and the bad and the ugly. And that's what we go, get into with Helen Kimball. And I've actually gotten some flack. Some people have said, why did you bring out some aspects of her life, like her struggle to live the word of wisdom? We go into that, a whole chapter on it. Um just so she grew up and her body got addicted basically to coffee and it was a hard, hard struggle. She never completely overcame and she tried she almost kills herself multiple times trying to get over it. It's, it's an incredible story actually. Um, but, but, but I want to know those stories. I want to know about her staying up late at night with insomnia. I want to know what her emotions were when her son committed suicide. Cause she had a son commit suicide. I want to know what she was wrestling through. I want to know about her, anxiety to train her children. Right. And she has a deep anxiety of that, that she talks about in her journal. Is she doing enough? Um, How does she help them get converted? How does she help them when they're struggling and, and the miracles and then also the hard times that come along that with that. So I guess where I'm going is we need to tell our history because we need these role models. We need to know what we're doing because I can't be the only woman out there that is just feeling so strongly, like, I want to be, uh, I want to be a godly woman, but I want to know what that means. And I can't know what that means. If I look to the culture, I have to look to God. And, um, and where do I go? And I really think these women hold a big part of that in playing a role in that.
0: You know, you hit on so many good points there. But, but what, when you talk about, you know, being a godly woman today, I think that that is more important than ever. I was I was talking uh with with my wife a while back and just all the stuff that that she had to do and I remember thinking and forgive me I I have sometimes the most childlike mind but I was like you're like Sarah Connor from like Terminator. Right? Not only you got to keep the wolves at bay so to speak but then you got to train up the kids to do the same thing and and I help as much as I can but but we need that that strong example of of womanhood because I think too often what what you spoke about with knee-jerk reactions is that you know Oh, women, women should always be, you know, soft and quiet and soft spoken, and that's not what that is, right?
1: You get to know these women. That's that yes. it makes me laugh when they say, "Oh, they were brainwashed into this," because I'm like, you don't know these women. These no. women are feisty. They are fiery. They have personality, which I personally like because I relate with them. So, yeah, I'm just backing. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I, yeah, the uh, this idea of being quiet is not. A trait that I find in godly women, by and large, right? The, and and we're in a time now where I think being quiet just isn't going to cut it anymore, and and we got to step forward. And and if if it's done purely from the male side, we're going to lose a lot. Um, there there yeah. are cer- certain gifts that come with with the feminine that that the masculine just yeah. doesn't have, and that's yeah. just the truth of it.
1: And I want to just add to that, um, you know, Eliza Snow, um, just to talk about her for a second, is a, she is just a big enigma for so many progressive writers because she was, she's very strong and, and opinionated and a strong defender of truth. And at the same time, she is also incredibly submissive, meek in the sense of being teachable, her emotion is under control um, and and humble. And she has this incredible blend between the two. Um, and and that is what we have to discover. And that's where um, we, we kind of fly to extremes on either side. And that's mm-hmm. where we've got to come to understand what godly character really is. And this has been a journey for me trying to understand this myself. Um, and I am by no means an expert so no one should look to me but i'm saying from personal experience i can understand um the pondering and the prayer of trying to understand okay how do i um exemplify true femininity um and even in Joseph smith's teachings the ways that he said women need to act and they need to be Um, very charitable and not overzealous and some of their some weaknesses that women fall into we can be overzealous and we can you know when we go in to root out evil we go in for the kill and Joseph Smith's like whoa 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 um anyway there's just incredible teachings from Joseph Smith to the Relief Society and, and Eliza Snow taught those as well so you have a balance right um it's think of the imagery of the lion and the lamb um laying down together um my, my dad actually put that on my, I had a brother who passed away and my dad put, um, the lion and the lamb on his headstone. And, and I was talking with my sister because she remembered this and I didn't, she, um, my sister Leah, she, she said, do you know why dad put that on there? And I was like, well, the millennium. And, and she said, no, actually, um, the, a, a true follower of Christ has the perfect balance between a lion and a lamb. You have to be that line that's that defender, that protector. You've got to hold your ground and not compromise when you're fighting against evil. And at the same time, you need to have the meekness and the lowliness of heart and the humility and the gentleness and the tenderness and the charity of a lamb. And you have to have those both at the same time together. And that is hard. Most of us fall to one extreme or another and finding that, that correct balance. And I have thought a lot about that recently. And that is something that you actually see with a lot of these women. Like when it comes to Helen Mark Kimball, read her pamphlet, why we practice plural marriage. Um, It's a series of letters that she wrote with a a non-member who was asking her, why do you guys do this? What, where is the basis for this in scripture? What does this look like? And there is one letter she writes where this man says, oh, I can see why uh, plural marriage can be good at times. There's this woman I know who needs to be cared for and um, she would fit in our family and I should marry her. And she, Helen Mark Kimball writes this scathing letter back to him, basically saying, with, if you do not have authority and you do not practice this according to God's laws and his boundaries, you are committing adultery that is heinous. And she just rips into him. I remember reading this letter. I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> Like, is this like, are we like just being a little over the top here? Um, but she just she just goes in there defending purity and defending um, any kind of semblance of immorality of, or adultery or um, a lack of chastity. And at the same time, when you read um, Helen Mark Kimball's interactions with her children, she's learning that gentleness and that being tender and being patient when someone is struggling. And anyway, you just see this balance. And that's why I think it's so important to know these stories, because it's practical. Instead of sitting here and saying, a follower of Christ is humble, right? Uh, Mosiah teaches us that well what does that mean we need some examples to actually see it in practice so that we don't um, have a false imagery of what it means to be a disciple of Christ
0: when you went in to study her life talk a little bit about what you expected to see and then tell me what you actually saw okay because I think those those two things are important because I think as as people when we try to learn history we all have some sort of preconceived notions of who these historical figures are oftentimes though those that's just what they are as perception so again would you would you expect to see with Helen Mark Kimball versus what you actually saw
1: okay so I'm trying to think how to put this into words and uh, because I think a lot of us probably have the same idea because we've kind of already hinted at it a little bit. Um, But I want to make sure I I frame it accurately. But sometimes we tell the same five miracle stories in church history, right? Or it's like the first vision and it's like, Joseph Smith goes into the grove and he has this, you know, struggle with Lucifer for a few minutes. And then he sees the father and the son and it's happy day. And and then Joseph Smith goes and he translates the book of Mormon and, and it's just la la la, like these great stories. Right. Um, and, and we lose the blood and the sweat and the tears and the reality of what it means. So um, maybe a good example is the expectations that sometimes people have like oh marriage or having kids like oh it's just good just it's just so wonderful and I have these children and we're just going to sing lullabies at night and we're going to bake cookies and we're going to like sing around the Christmas tree carols and and oh like da 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 you know and then they actually get in there and and it's laying up late at night how am I going to reach this child and and how do we break contention or someone's not talking how do we you know anyway reality of really working through a relationship, right? And and I think sometimes we have the same thing with church history where we're like, oh, yes, well, it was hard. The pioneers are, you know, freezing fingers and toes to build the Salt Lake Temple. They're walking across the plains, but actually realizing, yes, but they're people and they're families. So what's the dynamic when a husband and wife are struggling and they're walking across the plains? What does that look like? What is it actually like to be a young woman looking ahead and losing your first three children. So Helen Kimball loses her, her first child is stillborn, um, born, stillborn. The second child dies a few days after birth and the third child dies as well. Um, it's easy to say, Oh, that's so hard. Okay. If you've been through that experience, you're going to have a different perspective. You're going to know these are the emotions you're feeling. This is the, the struggle. This is what's going through your mind mentally. And, um, or when you're actually making the sacrifices, you know, when Joseph Smith dies, Helen Mark Kimball talks about it's those key families after Joseph Smith dies that had to rally together to finish the Nauvoo temple, to bring the church together in, in a, in a, in the, you know, the, the government of Nauvoo is being attacked. It's the mobbers are coming, there's dissent, there's friction. I mean, they had to rally together to do that work. And you know what that looks like? It's the same way you rally together as a family to get a job done or to pay the bills. It it requires effort and it requires work. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I went into it expecting a little bit more of the, oh, these are people I'm not gonna really relate to on the really individual and personal things. Like I can relate to their faith and I relate to their beliefs, but I can, I really relate to the thoughts that are going through their mind. And as I got to know Helen Mark Kimball, um, I remember reading her widow journals and there were some experiences that she had. And I was thinking I've had these same experiences, but I thought no one else had. Um, and she was open and transparent about what that was like. Um, she struggled with chronic illness and I have struggled with chronic illness as well. And so reading her journals and her talking about what that was like and laying awake at night and in pain and and her, a lot of the things that she wrote, she literally was just mustering all of the strength that she had just to write. She's writing through tears. And I realized, wait, I didn't realize it was like that for them. That may sound stupid, but um, I just hadn't connected that. And what that gave me the strength for is realizing, okay, I go through the same thing. So many of the books that I've written, um, let's use the Helen Mark Kimball book as an example. Um, I started it before my dad passed away. And so, um, and before he got sick, so he passed away in 2021 of stage four lung cancer. And there were a lot of chapters that I was writing at two in the morning, um, during my shift taking um, care of him. And I would be reading about her struggles and her, like, it it just, it was, it was, I I was reading about, she had a 16 year old uh, daughter who passed away with some of the symptoms that I had seen my dad suffer through. That was hard for me to read her talking about that, let alone then write it into her story because I had been there. I knew what it's like to hold someone who's struggling to breathe. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to watch someone pass away in front of your eyes. It's not like the movies. It's a very real experience and um and reading her so I'm literally writing her story as I'm walking through some of the things that she's walked through. And it gave me that perspective. Okay. This is how you get through it with faith. This is how, this is what it really looks like. This is what discipleship is like. It's not just this, Oh, happy story. And it's easy and we're not even easy, but it's hard. And there's these challenges, but we get through it. It's very much real life. It's not sensationalistic. It's not drama. There's no soundtrack playing as you do works of faith. It's just it's a lot of grit, that's a lot of tenacity. But anyway, I hope that's making sense. I'm trying to figure no, out how to translate no, experiences into words, right? That is,
0: that is, and and I'm gonna ask a question here. Yeah, and if it's something you don't want to answer, just feel free to tell me to shut the pie hole. But real quick, as you're going through this with your dad and you're you're reading about Helen Mark Kimball or you're writing about her and, and you're seeing that there are some some striking parallels with what she had to deal with, with what you're dealing with. Did you feel like you kind of developed a relationship with her to a certain extent where, and I know that may sound kind of silly, but did did you, did you find that, that you could identify and maybe even have kind of of a relationship with someone who's on the other side of the veil?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it just gave me that,
0: Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the Slightly Rowdy package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, That package is available too where you can get everything in the previous two packages plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content.
1: It just gave me that sense of thinking, okay she, she played her role. And now here I am. And I'm as you're as you're as you as you described it, you know, kind of developing this relationship, being able to relate with her being able to feel connected at a deeper level. Um, it really actually gave me a sense of, okay, she played her role in history. And now here I am, in my time, my generation, Um, What am I going to do to keep that legacy going? Because this is what it looks like. So she and other righteous women of her time kept the flame alive. They passed it on. Now it's my generation and it's my responsibility and other women. It's our responsibility to keep that legacy going. So not just a connection as, oh, we've gone through similar things, but we're all trying to keep the same torch alive And they're no longer here to do it, but they did their role and they've handed it off to us. Now we've got to keep it going. And then to the next generation, that was something I remember thinking a lot about just because Helen Mark Kimball, the best way to describe her actually is the most important thing to her in her life was I think being a mother. When you actually read her journal, that's what she's thinking about. That's what she's matters to her more than anything else is her children. And it really got me thinking, okay, how do we raise righteous children? How do we, we've got to get back to the point to where our homes are raising prophets and prophetesses. That was the vision of the restoration early on. It was to be a mother in Zion doesn't just mean, oh, you're going to be a righteous mother. It means, are you capable of God sending a son or a daughter to your home that have those gifts of the spirit that have, that can build Zion? Um, and then that raised questions in my mind of like, okay, well, what does that look like? And how do we do that? And that's a journey, to be honest, I'm still on that journey. I'm trying to study it out and I want to learn more, but it it sends you in this deeper dive of like, okay, they started this journey of the restoration. We've got to keep it going. Here's where I'm at. How do I do my part to pass it on to the next generation?
0: Perfect. Without giving too much away of the book, because I'm a capitalist and if we give too much away here. I No one's going to buy the book, so I I, I want to be careful here as as we talk about a few things. Um, what do we get the sense of the relationship between Joseph Smith and Helen Mar Kimball? Right. What was that like? What was that dynamic?
1: Right. So, um, one of the keys to understand is um, her her relationship with Joseph Smith is a little different than Eliza R. Snow. Um, Mary Elizabeth Rollins-Leitner, some others that had a closer relationship with Joseph Smith, or it was more of a marriage. Um, so in Helen R. Kimball's sense, um, as far as we know, and based on the records, it was never consummated. Um, she never lived with Joseph Smith. Um, it was a ceiling with the view of eventually one day in the future, um, she would be, become his wife. Um, and And there's a whole... we we go into the whole story like how did that happen what are the conversations that took place and and we address some of the questions that critics raise of why would she do this and was she capable at 14 of even making a choice like this um and I think when you actually get into the details it's actually extremely faith promoting um but um like you said that's such a huge subject it's like how do you tackle that other than I'd say go read the book get into the details because it I think it answers all the questions and the doubts. But um so her relationship with Joseph Smith is definitely one of a respect, but you definitely see it develop more, I think, after he dies, mm. which is interesting. Um, as she as she develops her own relationship with God, um, and she talks about this, how at first everything from her um her from her belief in god is she she always it seems like she always knew that god was real and she felt this connection of wanting to be part of his kingdom but also this hesitancy of i don't know if it's really in me to pay that price so she's so excited to get baptized at 8 years old she's just she goes into the freezing freezing frigid winter um pond or water area where she was baptized but she says she was so excited to do it and she just it was a memorable experience um she's she's the one that has the experience that her father talks about in the school of the prophets in kirtland where uh, she broke some of her mother's dishes and her mom had said she was going to whip her and so helen goes out into um under a tree or whatever. And she just prays to God. And she's like, God, please change soften my mother's heart so that she will not whip me when she comes home. And, um, and her, and she just had so much faith. She was like, God's going to answer this prayer. And her mom came home and her mom was like, okay, yeah, I won't fulfill like what I said I was going to do. And, and it's this, um, it, I'm butchering the story. So you gotta read like oh, the exact. Right. But um, but the the sense is that Helen has this deep sense of faith, um, uh, which I think is unique to her just childlike faith from a young age, of being able to be like, I don't understand this, or I'm struggling, or I don't know if this is me. But being able to take that step of faith. And that's the same step of faith that she has to take in Missouri with the persecutions, the same step of faith as her family's trying to make sacrifices to do missionary work. And then the step of faith, of course, um, being sealed to Joseph Smith um, saying, I don't really understand this. I don't completely um, know how I feel about this, but being able to take that step. And when and we, and we go into the book, she talks a little bit about why she took that step. What were the reasons? Um, what led her to make that conclusion for herself? But into her years over the next several years, she really goes through this phase of losing a child in winter quarters. Um, so after Joseph Smith dies, she marries Horace Whitney, and um, her first baby is born, stillborn, um, she buries him in winter quarters. She's very, very sick with scurvy. And, um, and she talks about that and what that was like and, and being around the other women as they're beginning to experience powerful spiritual gifts and visions and prophecy and things like that, that were happening winter quarters. That's, that's one of my favorite chapters in the book probably are, is the women's experiences in winter quarters. Just incredible. Um, but as she's coming across the plains, she really just gives up the will to live. This is too hard. This is when she loses her second child that dies a few days after it's born. And she just gives up. She's sick. She's naturally, um, she, she was naturally someone who struggled with physical strength. Um, so she was naturally more delicate. Um, and just coming across the plains, losing her first two kids, you can just imagine not having a stable home. And you're only, I'm sure I remember how old she was at this time, 18, 19. Um, I don't think quite 20. But um, so she's very young. And she just gives up the will to live. This is too hard. And I think um, some of us have been there, where it's not necessarily where Um, you you hate your life or you um, you know, are just so depressed or hate yourself. It's just this is too hard. Why don't why would you just not want to go to a place of rest and peace and and just there's nothing here? This life is not that great to stick around for. And she loses that strength and 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 her family is gathered around her and she's dying. She's literally dying. And she goes into this um, state where she has an experience that the best way I can describe it is like an Alma the Younger experience, his being very different in the sense of he was rebelling and trying to destroy the church, and, and then he's in this contest between light and darkness and thus he's got to repent. Hers is a little different where she's made all of these sacrifices. She's tried so hard and God is just stripping her, stripping her, stripping her, stripping her, testing her, testing her, proving her, proving her. And she really comes into the state where she sees a contest between light and darkness, and God shows her things. She doesn't go into a ton of detail, but she goes into enough detail that you're like, "Wow, she went through some something pretty profound." And she wakes up from that experience, a changed woman, um, where she has to make a decision of, and this is actually when she gains her testimony of plural marriage, when she gains her testimony of other principles of the gospel. And she comes out of this experience, having seen both sides, angels and the forces of Lucifer. And now this is something that some progressives have commented on it. And they're like, okay, this just shows the mental state of these women in the early restoration. It's a psychic culture. This, this is word for word, right? So this would be like Todd Compton in in Sacred Lon- Loneliness, like the psychic culture. This is the kind of mental illness that's created by the gospel. Um, And at that point, you just have to decide. And that's what I really feel like each person needs to read it. And just like you read the book Mormon, and you're going to have to decide, did Nephi really saw what he saw? Did Abraham really see what he saw? Um, Moses, Joseph Smith, you have to decide. And if you read Helen R. Kimball's testimony, she explains her testimony that she says, this is what I saw. And this is what I learned. And this is my testimony. And you have to decide for yourself if you believe her. But she comes out of this experience a changed person. And she gets that strength and that will to live again. And she then um, fasts for an extended period. This is right after they've they arrived in Utah. And it's New Year's Eve. And um, she just has this beautiful, comforting, reborn, being born of God experience. And she's reborn and that is when Helen takes a turning point in her life. Because you see from there on, um, she's really a different woman. Um, before, she's a good woman, but she's struggling to know if she, what she knows for herself, what she's experienced. And then she owns it. And for a number of years, she's just a mother just trying to put food on the table, raise children but then comes the point where there's all of these critics that begin attacking Brigham Young, attacking the church, attacking plural marriage. And Helen Mar Kimball is one of those women that just stands up like this incredible lioness and just takes all of those men to town. (laughs) If there had to be a woman that just, she's just a spitfire. She's good at writing. um, And she takes up that pen and she, um, this is actually one quote that i had in the book she 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 just she said that she just felt this call that the lord was telling her you've got to publish to the world not only the principles of your faith but a true history of facts the trials the sufferings the injustice done to innocent people publish them on the housetops so that they reach the ears of the just and that's where she really comes into her own um, of really becoming a defender of the faith and anyway so you see this whole progression of a woman going from I don't know what I believe to knowing what she believes but then becoming an articulate defender of what she believes and those are three distinct phases so
0: if if we can let's talk about when her her son dies by suicide um, and the reason I want to go there is I know somebody personally, right now, who is struggling with that. Fortunately, it didn't get, it wasn't successful. It was able to be, be stopped. But as I've talked to this person, they are just beside themselves, right? Like, where did I go wrong? What did I do? What, what is happening? And as, as I've looked out around the landscape of, of the country at large and and we're not immune as mormons to this the, the adversary has ramped things up to a new level so what how did she get through that what yeah what what happened there
1: yes so um she has a son who was battling um some kinds of um, illnesses or other things like that and and she gets the news that he has committed suicide and it was successful He's, he's passed away and she, I don't have the quotes right in front of me. Cause I, unfortunately I don't have the book, but oh, you're she, good. she talks about how she's instantly hit with this deep sense of horror and, um, trauma of wondering that same, those same feelings. Where did I go wrong? This is the end of my family. Is my son damned forever? Where is he? What happened? Like, are this kind of a lost feel? And she goes through um, this beautiful experience of gaining comfort of, um, and and she doesn't, there's a lot of details we wish we had, right? I'm not, by no means do we have everything, um, but what we do have, you do see that she gets this sense that she... Um, comes to a place of peace where God helps her to feel that in her son's case, everything was going to be worked out. Um, that there were things going on. Um, and, and, and she's able to come to that place with the Lord's help of it's going to be okay. In the end, everything's going to be okay. But then she turns that experience into, um, the whole family is kind of shook up by this experience. Mm -hmm. So her other children, um, and, she, you see this, she, she turns her grief into good. And I think we see that in all of our lives or in the lives of people in history, uh, trauma and negative experiences can either destroy you or they can build you into a better person. And it's all based on how we react and how we take them. Um, they can completely okay well they break all of us right they break us into pieces um but do we rebuild from that and do we channel that experience into okay i'm going to use this for good or do we just allow it to destroy us And for Helen, she turns this experience and the whole family does for good. So she talks about gathering the family together and talking to them. Okay, how are we gonna do better? How are we gonna be more united? How are we gonna forgive one another? Create a better home environment of unity and peace and and the spirit present. And I really think you do see a little bit of a shift in Helen as a mother at this stage. Um, Most of her children are older and grown at this point. Um, but you see her really stepping into that role as a matriarch of really rallying the family together um, and and having picnics and things like that, where they come together and they say, okay, how are we going to keep the Sabbath day holy? How are we going to come together and create almost like a temple in this home, but we're going to be united? and And at the same time, she has a daughter that is um wanting to mem- marry a non-member and she doesn't even know about it till she basically gets sprung on her the news that they're engaged and she's like what where did this come from and absolutely not and then her son orson kind of talks her down and is like look she's gonna do this so we gotta um how do we lead without compulsory means like dnc 121 right. how to do this with long suffering and, and patience and and just wrestling through all of that and at the same time she has really hard chronic illness where she'll pass out and extreme pain and she's laying on the couch and in between little bursts of energy she's like talking to her daughter and she's like please like with all of my soul i'm just pleading with you keep the commandments you know um so what you see i think with helen is her turning to the lord for comfort no amount of counseling or A trauma expert or positive affirmations or vision boards would have helped her really get through that experience um so what she had to do is she had to go to the lord and the lord had to give her insight and revelation and healing and then she took that to actually make her family stronger in the end anyway i don't know if that's kind of
0: no that that does that that answers that Mm -hmm. did she ever become a target um Cause, Cause you talked about her standing up and really defending plural marriage yeah. when, when they're coming hard after Brigham and the church. Yeah. Um, does she ever become a target of any of that criticism herself?
1: I don't know of too much directed specifically at her. Um, definitely. She felt, she felt keenly all of the misrepresentation of women in general um, the the kinds of lies and slanders that were going on. Um she definitely I mean that's hard. That's hard to be looked on. Um speaking as a woman, the when when your when your virtue matters more to you than anything else, it's extremely hard when um critics um just liars um, and slanderers target those areas to um, demean you in those ways of your character that matter more than anything. And so in that sense, I do, I see that really striking a chord for Helen where that's hurtful. It's hurtful for these. You got to understand, these are women that are not just like, Oh yeah. Okay. We're, you know, whatever. These are women that are extremely chaste. (laughs) These are women that hold to virtue as more important than anything. And to be called to live plural marriage, And then have people misrepresent that around the culture as basically it's a bunch of slime balls in Utah and it's, uh, and it's oppressive. And it's basically this just horrific tyrant, you know, all these women are being oppressed and abused that, that was hard. Um, but at the same time, I don't see her, um, allowing that to warp her, um, in the way of, making her insecure about her beliefs. She she seems pretty fearless through it, which is actually pretty incredible because I know personally it can be hard sometimes when people lie and slander about your name to then um not allow that to hurt you or right. make you afraid of speaking out. And for Helen, that's that's one area that she's phenomenal. She just stays the course.
0: Hmm. During the research, um well, let me ask this. How does her life end? Yeah. When does she pass? And and what does her life look like as as that comes to a close?
1: Mm-hmm. Um nothing too exciting. So there's no dramatic um finale. Um, but definitely just loved by her family her obituary is beautiful just talks about her incredible character everyone who knew her knew that she was this person of stalwart stalwart character um and definitely with peace like where you can tell she she's not dying with regrets or fear of death she's she's confident she's ready to get on the other side and meet jesus christ and meet Joseph Smith and meet her parents and, you know, meet those people that had passed on before her. Um, but I I actually close out with this at the end of the book. And that is that Helen Mark Kimball's story has not closed. So, and what I mean by that is her, yes, when she passed away, that's almost the middle of her story. Because what Helen Mark Kimball spent her entire life building was a better resurrection a better a better future and and reaping all of those rewards on the other side and that is something that is really looked down on and criticized in our world and i don't know what much to say other than you're just gonna have to decide if you believe in the savior's command to lose your life to save it right um helen mark kimball did not reap all of the blessings for the sacrifices that she made in this life (laughs) Um, she by no means died destitute or friendless. No, like her her children were, you know, gathered around her, good family, um, a beautiful passing. But her true triumph, I feel is still to come. And I close out with that in the book of saying, you know, Helen Mark Kimball's story is yet to be finished, huh? just like all of us. All of us are building a better future for the tomorrow. And it's I honestly actually look forward to the day of being able to see that full that full triumph that coming full circle on Helen Mark Kimball's story because you have to understand these women to be sealed to Joseph Smith was a huge privilege and most of them saw it that way Um, and when I say most of them I don't mean that we have any that are saying they didn't, but I just don't have a specific quote like to back it up. So Mm -hmm. most of them we have testimonies where these women recognize that it was not just a personal decision, but it was also a mission decision. In other words, being a wife of Joseph Smith meant an identity and it meant a mission and it meant a commitment that they had a responsibility for, namely the spreading of the gospel and the building of Zion and the establishment of that foundation. And they and they lived for that mission and they lived to have that accomplished. And um, those women, that that restoration is still to be fully realized. Joseph Smith passed away, not having finished his mission if you go read his patriarchal blessings, if you go read um, everything he's prophesied to do, he still has that work to finish. Zion still needs to be built in Missouri. You're so far from it. Sometimes it feels right. Right. Um, um, So that work still needs to be finished and you have to realize that it's not just Joseph Smith's work, but it's definitely his family has a central, central role in that and every single one of those women. So I feel like that the majority of the story of these women is actually yet to be told and yet to be seen because what does it look like when they're actually able to establish that kingdom, when they're actually able to establish the millennial reign um, they'll be standing right there with Joseph Smith to do that work. And I am excited to see that personally.
0: You had some help writing the book, right? You had. Absolutely. And stuff. Oh
1: yeah. Yes. Yes, had actually over uh, 50 people working on the book. So everything Mm -hmm. from research help, um, editing help, um, people reading the manuscript and giving feedback, um, transcribing documents. It was really fun, which was exciting because we actually had, it was primarily women that were working on the book. Um, But it was fun to see some of them came into the project You know, I'm not struggling with this subject. Let's do this. Let's tell her a story. And others, okay, plural marriage is really, really hard for me. And I'm freaked out of my mind. Um, And seeing every single woman that worked on this project walked away a better person, stronger in the faith, and just inspired. Um, We had a little luncheon kind of celebrating um, that we finished the book and everything after it was finished. This was last year. And it was just so fun to talk to the different women that were there about their experiences, how they were better people, and how it really challenged them to, again, it's not about plural marriage. It's about becoming true women of God and true mothers in Zion. And that's what all those women walked away from. Okay, how am I going to be a better mother? How am I going to be a better wife? How am I going to be a better um, disciple of Christ in this day and age? And what does that look like? And that is what I think Helen Mark Kimball did for all of us working on this book project um it gave us this sense of okay what does it mean to be a true woman where are we at and okay here's some direction and inspiration to just kind of step up to the next level
0: perfect i got three more questions and then and then i'll let you go i know you're insanely busy what was What do you think the most common misconceptions are about Helen Mark Kimball or any of the wives of Joseph Smith? What are those misconceptions?
1: Um, No one sees them as women with their own minds and their own personalities, um, which I think is really demeaning and devaluing. Um, especially since so many of the progressives and the leftists love to claim how they're advocates of women and how they're advocates of women's rights and women's voices. And to be honest, I think they're totally failing in that regard um, because these women's voices are being devalued. These women's voices are being ignored. They're being hashed up. And you cannot understand the story of the Restoration without these women and you can't you just you can't um and so i think that's the most probably the primary misconception is realizing you no know, these are women that didn't just get pushed into this or pressured into this lifestyle this gospel this church these are women who chose it because of who they were and you can disagree with that and you can say oh i think that's crazy that's fine but you have to realize they made informed decisions that they believed very strongly for themselves as individuals to the day that they died. So you can disagree with them, but you at least need to respect them for making those choices and that that's what they personally believed. And just, you know, just at least admit the fact that these women, that's what they wanted and that they were there for themselves. And I think if they were here, um, I definitely think that's a theme in Helen Mark Kimball's writings is she says over and over, this is me. This is my choice. This is my Mm -hmm. testimony. This is my voice. (laughs) And the reason why that's important to understand is I think it challenges all of us to wonder where do we stand and do we have a voice and do we know what we believe and why? Um, And if we don't, if we're wavering in our testimony and wavering in the gospel, um, let's look at Helen's story and decide why was she so crazy to choose this life? Like, what kind of person in their right mind would choose to live a life of hardship and sacrifice and be happy about it? Like what's wrong with her? Um, We'll go read her story and you'll see what's wrong with her or what is so right about her. Um, Because I can just bear my, add my testimony. True joy, true joy, true discovering of who you are in your, you know, just who you really are. Your real personality comes through developing that relationship with God and coming to gain that testimony. And that's what she did.
0: How's the book been received by and large? I mean, have you had any pushback from anybody? Did you, did you rile up the progressives?
1: (laughs) Primarily positive actually. So it's actually, I mean, there's always going to be those people out there that hate anyone. That's basically defending Joseph Smith. And, um, especially on the subject, it's very, uh, can be sensitive but overall tons of positive feedback just emails written just people saying thank you helen Mart has changed my life um, i'm a better person because of her and so yeah overwhelmingly positive and i'm really grateful for that very grateful
0: perfect and then who you got on tap next
1: oh okay well there since we're kind of working on the book of mormon there's no project in the works, but when we do revisit this series it will be Eliza Snow So we're actually working on we are working on right now actually organizing all of her teachings by topic so that will be fun because that's awesome These are phenomenal
0: that's awesome Anything you want to leave with
1: It's a good question well, I've definitely been talking your ear off here so
0: no you're good you're good what? what is it you hope people come away with how's that what, what is it you hope that people when they put down the book and my wife tanya has has read the book and i'll tell you what she has said after after you uh give it here but but what's what's your major hope that people take away from from your book
1: yeah um probably this so the story of the restoration is a story of a family uniting together to do a work. And that family included Joseph Smith's parents, Lucy Max Smith and Joseph Smith Sr. It included his first wife, Emma, but it also included these other women. And these women need to be recognized as family members, but also recognizing that the work of the restoration then was not just a bunch of people who united together, but it was a family an extended family that came together to lay down their lives for hope to be restored to the world. You know, if you go read the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 50 when Joseph of Egypt is translating about the um prophesying, sorry, about the mission of Joseph Smith. He makes it clear. The mission of Joseph Smith was to restore the word of God to bring deliverance from captivity. The Lord Joseph of Egypt looked down and he saw his posterity and the Lord is looking down today and he is seeing so much brokenness and so much hurt and pain and suffering beyond belief. (laughs) You know, as we sit here, countless men, women, and children are being tortured, are being abused, are being trafficked, are being personally enslaved just in anxiety and depression and hopelessness. There is so much suffering in our world What is the solution to that? And if you look into the scriptures and if you look at Joseph Smith's life, they testify that the solution of that is the word of God. And so what you see with the restoration is Joseph Smith came and his family united with him to say, we're willing to lay down our lives. We're willing to suffer and sacrifice so that our brothers and sisters can have hope and find freedom again. And so when you look at these women these are women that laid down their lives because of a mission that came from that family and from that identity and i feel like just as kind of just final words that mission did not stop with them that mission is very very real today and needed more now than it was even back then because uh, and this is why Joseph Smith's character is under attack. This is why these women are under attack. It's really an attack on Jesus Christ and an attack on the gathering of Israel and on the, an attack on hope being restored to the world. The adversary has a good grip on things and he doesn't really want to lose his territory. Um, and so as we, as each of us sit down, you know, if, if someone reads the book, and walks away thinking, oh, wow, Helen Mark Kimball was so amazing. That just really inspires me and, and great. And then puts the book on the shelf and walks away and goes back to their life. I feel that I have failed. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my hope is is that someone will read this book and feel that calling inside of themselves to stand up and to do their part in carrying that message of the gospel forward. What sacrifices is the Lord asking you to make? What is your role in this? What is your testimony? What is your witness? Because we need more than ever before. We need, you know, the 10 virgins are sleeping. All 10 of them are fast asleep. Right. Um, Hebrew C. Kimball talked about Joseph's boys being asleep, but that God would wake them up and they would stand up and they would roar like the thunders of Mount Sinai. We're at a crisis point. We're at a turning point in the history of the world. I feel like right now where we're deciding which way are we going to go right now is a decisive moment and we need every single one of us to get down on our knees and find out who we are. Helen figured out who she was. She figured out her identity. She figured out her, where she fit her place, her family, And that mission that came with that family, every single one of us has to go on that same journey and then stand up and do it. Stand up and to speak and speak and carry the gospel to the world. And every single one of us is needed. And I think that's, those are my last words. That's my plea. That's hopefully the mission of the book.
0: Well, look, and I'm only going to speak for my family here on this. Mission accomplished. So. Um, and if you're uncomfortable with this part, I can edit it out later. Both of my wives read that book and they read it together and they were used to me spouting at the lip on the microphone. That just kind of came with the territory, but they, they read the book and there were two things that stuck out to me. Amber said, it's a grind. It's always going to be a grind her life shows that and that's what we're going to do we're going to grind that's that's just what it is tanya told me she said amber and i have to become more vocal we have to stand up for true principles it's not enough so good on you and i couldn't agree with you more we we are at society as a whole humanity as a as a whole is at a tipping point a time of choosing um i recently gave a, a a talk at the torah conference where where i said i don't think i think we're in a place now where, where god's going to ask more out of us than perhaps he's ever asked out of anybody um and and my talk was primarily on on the constitution and america's role in scripture but in one hand we're going to have to stand up for godly principles and in the other we're going to have to defend the constitution because that's just what our times call for but here's what gives me hope i see a lot of tremendous people in in the lds church and and other mormons groups independence i i i see if you were born now it's for a reason and you've got to find your voice mm-hmm. um because no one wants to hear from me that much but um regardless hannah it was such a pleasure having you on again let's do it again all right
1: yes absolutely and thanks awesome for, thanks for your words and i can just say you know Amen, because we need those voices to stand up and we need people to stand up and bear testimony that they know. That was what was powerful about Helen. She wasn't just bearing testimony of what she believed, but what she knew. And every single one of us need to say, as I can say myself, huh, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know he was a man of character. I know that these principles will work. If we'll just have enough faith to turn back to the scriptures and back to this foundation, we can turn this mess around. I know it. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. And you can know it too. So let's stand up. Let's build the kingdom. Let's bear it off to the nations.
0: Awesome. All right. That was great. All right. Bye, everybody.